What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, have I told you about that dream I had the other day? What dream? So I had this dream. It was a sweaty dream? Nah. Okay. I was on this adventure. Yep. Well, I was in Germany during this dream. You're in Germany? Yeah. Were you and wearing I, Lederhausen? I was, yes. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, definitely was. And I was drinking steins of beer and I just got this overwhelming need to buy a dog. Oh, I think I know where you're going with this. Yeah. So I just popped on over to House Hamburg Shepherds. Oh, why wouldn't you? Yeah. You'd have to. And I know that they have the best German Shepherds, but the German Shepherds. So I bought one of their duchies. Oh, man. The best. Shit-mouthing German Shepherd. <laughs> <laughs> and so so then in this dream, I, I finished my giant beer and mm-hmm. I took off my Lena Hosen. Yep. And I got that duchy mm-hmm. and I put it on a plane yep. because they can ship them anywhere. It turns out I didn't have to even be there to buy this dog in this dream. Right. And I, I flew it over to the US. Yep. Right. So when I got there, I realized I need some equipment for this dog, this duchy that I've got. Wait. Were you in Canada or were you in the US? Well, I was in North America or somewhere. It's not important exactly where. Okay. <laughs> and so I thought, oh, you know what I need? Some like training gear, some collars, some leashes, harnesses. So guess where I got it from? It sounds like it's a big lead up to an old mate, Mach LaPointe. Mach LaPointe. I just yep. got under Canon Dynamics yep. and had it shipped to me. Mm. Didn't matter where I was in the US or North America, actually. Yep. I had Canon Dynamics ship it to me. It was wonderful. wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, then I'm out training this duchy mm-hmm. in his all of his fancy equipment. The yep. duchy that I got from House Hamburg Shepherds, mm-hmm. using the equipment I got from Canon Dynamics. Yep. And then I was training a dog park because that's how I train. Mm-hmm. And there were some people, and they had some <laughs> sort of unruly behaviour from their dog. Yep. And I think at this point I was in Ashland, Virginia, and uh, fancy I, that. I thought I said to them. They were like, oh, can you help us with this dog? I said, no, fuck you. I don't no, want to. I'm a dog part daddy. <laughs> <laughs> I said, fuck you. I don't want to. Yep. But I know someone who will come to your home here in Ashland, Virginia, while you're at work and will do like a little bit of a training session with your dog while you're gone. No way. You're not talking about Melanie Benway. It was Melody Benway I was Bloody talking hell. about. Kindred Canine. So I g- gave those details. Anyway, so I went on to, you know, do some cool things with this duchy. Mm-hmm. And then I had to come back to Australia yep. and I brought the dog. Wow. But you know what I didn't bring? What? Was any of his equipment. Oh, he left it all there. I left it all there. Okay. So I needed all new gear. And guess where I got my leashes, collars, tugs, harnesses. Dog mills. Blah, 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 blah. Bullfed Central. Einswick dog clip. Einswick Bullfed. Yeah. Yeah. And when I got here, I realized, oh, you know what? I had been traveling this fictional dog in my dream around mm-hmm. in the crate that he was shipped from uh, House Hamburg Shepherds. Yeah. Well, I need a custom crate now. So I had a custom crate bill by the Buffed. Wow. Einswick.com. Einzawina? Einzawina. Yeah. Einzawina. Yeah. So after your dream, when you woke up, did you wake up with a boner? You've ruined it. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart, and I'm joined in studio by my co-host, Glenn Cook. 
And it's just you and I again after a spate of good guests that we've had on the show. It is just us and we're outside our, I mean, no one can tell this, but we're outside of our normal recording hours. Does it it sound like a PM recording? Does it sound like a Thursday (laughs) instead of a Tuesday? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is. Yep. So yeah, we're out of sequence. I just got back from Melbourne. I was down there. I was traveling actually when we would normally be Mm. podcasting because I did my first seminar back since- Post-COVID. Yeah, since the world ended. And very successful based on all the online chatter that I saw. Yeah, it was amazing. Well, from my point of view, (laughs) other people said they enjoyed it. The reviews were glowing. Yeah. From what I've heard. I think people were so starved for something like that that I could have just got up and farted in front of everyone and it would have been, <laughs> it still would have been like well received. <laughs> mm. But mate, it was good. I, I, you know, we we're talking about this the other day, but I've kind of forgotten how much I live for that. Mm. And when we first stopped being able to do anything, I, you know, felt the impact of that heavily. And then just kind of resolved to, well, this isn't, you know, I'm not doing that. And Mm. restructured and, you know, pointed online. And that's why I released the online course was to just, you know, financially keep my head above water for the year when I couldn't do what I was doing. Yep. Went back to training, you know, pet dogs as much as I had to. Was very, very lucky to be able to transition to a lot of coaching online. And, you know, that's turned out to be as a lot more feasible than I had anticipated initially. So it's all been good and I've been enjoying work, but I forgot that I really fucking love work as well. Mm. And so in the build up to it, I I got nervous. I saw that and I was about to comment because leading up to you going down there, I saw a side of you I haven't seen for a while and I could see you getting not agitated, but sort of like, I would probably say more excited, Yeah, but also I could see like a, some nervous energy going on there. Yeah, definitely it yeah, was. And you were distracted. Like I could see you shifting around and yep. you know, not in a space that you usually occupy. Yeah. Well, for a couple of reasons, the first was that I radically changed things. So mm. I've you know come up with a whole new structure and taught in a different sequence just to Incorporate some new things that you've been Yeah, incorporate some new stuff, but Mm. also just to, you know, change, like see what it would be like. I've been in a a system for a while and I thought, hey, if I just present this in a different sequence, will people be able to understand it? And so there's risk involved in that and that Mm. I was confident that it would still work, but I hadn't done it. And the old sort of seminar, it grew to be what it was. And, you know, when I want to change something, when I want to add something, I'm talking about the theory day, right? Before the practical part, because then, you know, you're to wild card every time. Mm. But the theory part, I would only ever change little bits and I would, you know, maybe put something in, take something out, never more than a 10% change at a time and really gauge, you know, how was that received and how did that, you know, result in an overall change, but, or the overall understanding. But now this is probably like a total restructure right from the bat. So it was really hard to sort of get a gauge of how's this going to go. And you, you know, as much as you practice and I practice a lot, you can't practice with a crowd. So it's kind of like a band when they introduce some new music and yeah, then, you know, how's like this going to be some, received? Well, they've got the old favorites, which people love. Yeah. And then they've got some new music they're working on, which they're really excited to get out there, but they're thinking, how's this going to go down? Cause yeah. then the group will say, you know, Oh, where's all the old stuff. And then yeah. some people go, Oh, there's never any new stuff. But then, you know, like it's kind of like making it all tie in together. Exactly. Mm. And, you know, the, the whole point is that I've got some really technical information that I want to pass to people and I want them to understand, but that can't just be like, hey, here's fact, fact one, and just go through it all. Like I've got to tie it in. And, and the way I like to do it is to tell stories. And I've kind of, well, not kind of, what I literally did is admit that. And, mm. and so instead of it 
sneakily being like a story arc the whole day that explains the progression of dog training as I understand it. I didn't even hide that fact. And I was like, here is a story. And I gave a handout and everything that even had beginning, middle and end, like a story does. And it went through the whole lot. And so, yeah, it went pretty well. People were pretty happy. I was really happy. There's a couple of little things, like there's just a tiny little sequence change that I'll make. No big deal. Like most people that were there probably wouldn't even notice if I did it again the next day. It'd be a a very minor thing, but really important to me. A couple of little language devices that I'll use that will be a little bit different. Mm -hmm. But overall, the whole thing was amazing. you know, seeing all those people again, getting to be in a room with all those people, talking dog training, being yeah, immersed look, in it. You look different this week. You look relieved. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. And and mm. I was really scared because, you know, we had that little outbreak in Queensland like two weeks ago. Yeah, I know. I, yeah, you and I have been talking about this, about getting trapped down there. Yeah. Right? So that was my big concern was that, you know, I turned my phone off at eight o'clock when I walk in the door and I don't turn it back on again until like 6.30 when everybody's gone. Yep. And so if there's a couple of cases and then I'm not looking online like it could easily result in a border shot with mm. me have not knowing because I'm teaching and then hey presto I'm stuck in Melbourne and can't get home to my family. Well our so, marketing girl because she's from New Zealand and she's about to go back to New Zealand. Yeah. And like I think they open the border on Monday. So mm-hmm. she's going like we wanted to go because I mean number one she's awesome and number two, you know, she hasn't seen her family for two years or something like that. So mm. she's going She's going back over there for a week, but literally on the condition that if anything happens, she's running back to the airport and coming straight back. Because, yeah. I mean, we can't be without her. She's brilliant at her job. And yeah. And But the concern is like she's running back to the airport with 10,000 other people who are doing yes. the same thing, right? Yes. All of them wanting to jump a flight. Yeah. So and it looks like World War Z. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why I was scared because I didn't have the time to drive. I didn't have two days spare to spend in the car. So mm. I flew and then you're at the- what was that like? Tell me about that experience. Well, it's the first time I've flown since it all, and it was just pretty normal, except everybody's wearing masks. So yeah, um, they serve refreshments on the flight. No. Oh, they did. Sorry, yeah, yeah, they did. I wasn't paying attention on the way down, and but on the way back, yeah, they had coffee. So you take your mask off and you cough all over the guy next to you, and you <laughs> like, I mean, do all these notional things, and I get you do what you can do, right? Like, so one time I was out hunting and we we're driving like. Yo, know, it was in my Jeep when I had it and it was like doors and roof off and we're going between paddocks Yeah, and uh, there's like seven people in the five-seater car because we're hanging off the sides of it and I asked everybody to put their seatbelts on as we went and the two guys who don't have seatbelts are like, what's the point? And I'm like, well, we do what we can, man. Like, yeah, I'm still going to get in bulk trouble if anybody sees us driving on this road, like the real road between paddocks. Yeah. I don't have to just give it all up, right? So, like, those of us who have seatbelts should wear them. Yep. For you who's standing on the gun rails on the side, well, like, we'll take that trouble, but let's not do as much as we can. So that's how I feel about the mask on the plane thing. It's like, fair enough. We'll wear them. Yep. We can't wear them while we're drinking, but we may as well wear them the rest of the time just to minimize what we can do. Yeah. But it's funny because as soon as you walk off the plane, then everyone just tears them straight off. Anyway. Yeah, well, you're probably sitting inside, like, fingering your mouth and yep. wiping it all over the seat and yeah, yeah, all of that. I mean, look, I agree with you. You got to do what you can, and yeah. Mm. But it was great. I'm super glad I did it. What was really encouraging was almost all the dog sports were really well prepared dogs. So we had mm-hmm. you know, very clear things that we wanted to work on. We got to do all of that. We got to actually, instead of being like, oh, okay, we're going to start at square one with every dog. Mm-hmm. A lot of the dogs came in with, you know, really powerfully charged markers and ready to work. And I think a lot of, there was quite a few people there that had never been to seminars and stuff before. And you take for granted how difficult it is, you know, like 
we're inside. A lot of people don't train inside with their dogs. It's a doggy daycare that we're in. Yep. There's 70 people watching. So that's you and the dog are now off. So a lot of people get quite upset at themselves and their dog. And that's a big part of my job then is to be like, hey, hey. Like, Rain it back in. Yeah, just yeah. be realistic about our expectations here. Yeah, yeah. So people come in saying, you know, I want to work on this very precise behavior. And it's like, hopefully we can. But more than likely, you're going to be nowhere near even being able to produce the, the minor problem that you're looking to. You're going to have major problems mm. because, you know, this is a, a huge step in what you've been doing with the dog. No matter how well motivated your dog is and all of those things, everybody is going to notice a change in drives and behavior and that kind of stuff because of how, you know, remarkably different this environment is. Yep. But it all went really well. It was amazing. So huge thanks to Alex for organizing it all and huge thanks to everybody that could attend and did attend and had a good time. Tell your friends, post it online. Mm. For me now, there's blood in the water. Like I want to I want to keep more. going. Yep. So there are a couple of government agencies there that are looking to book some stuff now and I need to look at some dates with you so I can do something here in Sydney. Mm. But yeah, it's uh, it's exciting times. Yeah, we're, yeah we're, and Narelle's getting got back one to hers it. coming up soon too. Yeah. She did the one down in Canberra not long ago and- same sort of thing. She was really nervous about it and not sort of looking forward to it at the start. But mm -hmm. when she did it, she was quite relieved. I know we already talked about that because Ladybug was a bean a pain in the ass. Mm -hmm. But she's got one coming up here in Sydney as well. So it's good to see people getting back into the swing of providing seminars and doing things. So mm. well done. Thank you, sir. Mm. <coughs> oh, there you go. You've just got plain COVID and you've yeah. coughed it all over the place. Yeah, exactly. So you've stolen one of Rip's books. Yes, Mm. While I was gone, mm. there's a lot of, you know, it's coaching and my seminar has a lot of teaching involved rather than just get the dogs out. Yep. I always tell people that I understand there's people who learn really well from the stories I tell on the theory side. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people tell me, yeah, yeah, like that's all nice. I can't learn that way. I need to get the dogs out. Yep. And that's fair. I understand that. But it's not fair on the dog because it's not fair to say like, I'm going to learn while it's going down yep. when I have the opportunity to hear it all. And then of course, try and put that into action mm -hmm. in, and having a base to fall back on. So a lot of what I do, you know, it's a lot of talking. It's a lot of explaining. It and I found my, yeah, exactly. Mm. Right. And I found myself referring to this book a couple of times over the weekend. And I thought we could talk about it today. I don't know this book, so yeah. I'm learning about this book as we speak. It's a kid's book. Yep. And I think I find a lot of wisdom in kid's books, probably because I'm too stupid to understand the wisdom in adults' books, right? But I think that a lot of the kid's books can have a lot deeper meaning than is obvious. And this one is obvious, like there's a good story to it. Mm -hmm. And it's just a rhyming little thing, but it's meant to, I think, educate, aside from being entertaining- it's meant to educate children about how to form their words, yep. right? And I think that I experience a lot of adults who could maybe deal with the same advice. Mm. So the book is called Monkey Puzzle, right? And it's by this lady, Julia Donaldson, and it's illustrated by Axel Scheffler. I think she writes it, he draws it. I'm pretty sure that's how they do it. But either way, Julia Donaldson and Axel Scheffler. And so- if you're familiar, most people are familiar with the Gruffalo. If you don't, like even people who don't know kids' books usually are fairly aware of the Gruffalo. And so that's by the same guys and that's their biggest book. Yep. As well as probably Stickman is probably their next sort of I think of you've talked about Stickman on one of our shows before, maybe. haven't you? Yeah, maybe. I know you've certainly told me the story of Stickman because yeah. you found it quite an enigma that it's a very intense story. Yeah. Oh, it's full on. Mm. When he- becomes firewood, it's pretty, it's full on. Yeah. So anyway, it's the same people that made it. And so this book, Monkey Puzzle, is about a little monkey who's lost. And 
We don't know the exact legalities of, so I'm not going to read the whole book. I'm not mm. going to read the whole thing, but I'll read one full page. I'll give a sort of a synopsis of it. I'll read one full page and then I'll talk about the ending. So the idea is that there's this little monkey mm. and he's lost. The monkey is lost. I shouldn't gender the monkey because that becomes important later, right? Okay. The monkey is lost. Mm -hmm. And this butterfly turns up and it says, what's wrong? And he says, I can't find my mum." The butterfly says, no problem. I'll take you to your mom. What's your mom look like? And the only piece of information that the monkey says is that she's big, right? Mm -hmm. She's bigger than him. And so the next page when we turn it, and this is the first animal, and this is the only page I'll read the whole thing, right? They're at an elephant and the butterfly goes, hey, here's your mom, right? Yep. And the monkey then says, no, 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 that's an elephant. My mom isn't a great gray hunk. She hasn't got tusks or a curly trunk. She doesn't have great thick baggy knees. And anyway, her tail coils around trees. So the butterfly then says, she coils around trees. Then she's very near. Quick little monkey, she's over here. And on the next page, the butterfly has taken the monkey to a snake. Yep. Right? I thought that's where you're going with that one. So the idea is throughout this entire book and the, the butterfly takes the monkey to a bunch of different animals. Mm. And because it's this sort of four line stanza with the rhyming, every time the monkey says like, no, 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 that's a whatever animal it is, then lists three reasons it's not the mum, mm -hmm. right? And says like, my mum doesn't have, like we just heard with the elephant, like my mum isn't a great gray hunk. She hasn't got tusks or a curly trunk. She doesn't have great thick baggy knees. And so it's the same with the snake. And then they go on to a, a spider and all kinds of things. Yep. It's interesting, right? Because you're like, man, well, he just keeps taking them to random people. It's stupid. And as you're listening to it, you kind of blame the monkey quite a bit because you're like, hey, stop telling the butterfly what it's not, right? Mm. Because in every opportunity here, he's got four lines. He, he spends three lines telling the butterfly what his mum is not and why this thing isn't the mum. Yep. And only one line saying why it is. So it's like three quarters of this monkey's language is about negatives. Yep. Right. And only one quarter is about positives. Yep. And I think that that's kind of important to us. And it's kind of, it seems like on the surface, that's what the book is kind of about at the start, right? Mm -hmm. How it's like, you should be telling things what you, people and animals, what you want rather than what you don't. And I think when we talk about dog training, you know, in line with positive first and, you know, when we're training dogs to do stuff, I feel like there's a message in that for all of us in that it makes more sense to talk about what you do want. And then when people get things wrong, you can go, hey, that's not correct, right? But don't harp on what's wrong about it. Use your language to, or your help mm. to guide towards what is correct. And so I think there's much in that, you know, in interpersonal people relationships. But for us being dog trainers, every time I've read this book, it's kind of made me think about that in that you should be spending more time instructing on what you want. Mm. And when something goes wrong, of course, you have to acknowledge that it's wrong and say, no, that's not it. Right. But don't harp on what's wrong. Start shaping towards what is right. Yeah, when you hear the Plus R community talking, that's primarily where their argument is coming from is that I think they're suggesting that far too much time is spent on focusing on the negatives or when you're sort of splitting hairs between it, they somehow feel that we're so much favouring the negative side of it instead of the positive side mm. of it. I was having a chat with somebody the other day about 
my thoughts about when I listen to Plus R communities talk and then I listen to Balance communities talk, where the Plus R communities seem to be very rigid, they're very structured, and they have a subject matter that they want to get through. Whereas when you listen to the Balance trainers, it's very jovial, it's very loose, it often moves around, the structure is often waning backwards and forwards. Mm. And that's just my personal recollections on what I actually see in human behavior when I see different camps discussing a, mm. a subject matter, which can be the same subject matter discussed between two different camps of people. Mm. And what I do find is that the balance community, uh, the discussion is very open. And this is not a slant on either group. It's just purely observation on my behalf. Mm-hmm. Because I think part of being good in dog training is also being good about analyzing human behavior too, like watching how people interpret information, watching how they extrapolate things together. And that was an interesting thing, listening to your recollections on this book, but also watching human behavior, how they correlate together. And I've been watching that more and more and more and realizing that even though we're trying to bring ourselves together, there still is fundamental differences in the delivery of how it's done. Mm -hmm. And that is often a pressing point on why the communities refuse to come together, Mm. at least in my opinion anyway. Yeah, could be for sure. Mm. I think one of the reasons to think about what you're talking there is that for us as balanced trainers Mm. who can use the full spectrum of operant conditioning and with intention and with tools is that we can put ourselves in a position where the dog can make mistakes and we can still call it good, right? Because we have the capacity to change that. Mm. So, you know, if need be, we acknowledge that we use punishment and we can use positive punishment rather than just say negative punishment, which, you know, is a whole conversation on the efficacy of those things. Yep. But then also we can give guidance, you know, feedback out of unwanted behaviors into wanted behaviors via negative reinforcement. And so what it allows us to do is sort of cover more bases and we're far more able, like the the way you're framing talking about how it sort of move around a lot in the conversation can be because we're, our training allows us to be more mobile in that we can, we don't have to be so rigid and we don't have to be so structured because if the dog is distracted or, you know, like all those things that Mm. we can just be like, Hey, come back and we can pop the dog back into, you know, behavior or whatever. If you're going to not use those tools, you then can't afford those positions because then you're putting, you're setting yourself up to fail. Whereas within that same framework, if you have the ability to use negative reinforcement, use tools to bring the dog back with you, then you're not setting yourself up for failure proofing. Yep. All right. And so it's a, it allows us to, when we're talking, talk about, you know, in a more roundabout fashion, if this goes wrong, if this goes wrong, if this goes wrong, if this goes wrong, what do you do? Mm. But whereas the same conversation about the same behaviors, if you're not prepared to use those tools or those quadrants in that moment, when you say, when this goes wrong, the answer always has to be, well, don't let it right? Control the environment, control the reinforcers, control all those things. So you can then use completely affirmative language because you have to control it. The assumption is that everything else is controlled so that you can actually train that way. Mm -hmm. If you want to be effective, you have to, right? There's no effective plus R trainers that just go to the park, unclip their lead and go like, Oh, I hope he doesn't run off, right? <laughs> because if they if the dog goes like, oh, I'm out of here, I'm going to do this over here, they have no mechanism by which to bring the dog back. The interesting part of this discussion though, and I, I'm totally with you on this because this is my chosen part of the profession to be a balanced trainer. But the interesting part of it is this is our knowledge and this is our truth. And then when you listen to the other side speak about that, 
they have their own knowledge and their own truths about mm-hmm. their argument side of it. So it is fundamentally an interesting concept to listen to each side explain their way through it about why their system works as opposed to our system or why mm-hmm. our system works as opposed to their system. Mm-hmm. But for me, listening to that story and your explanation of it, I like a conversation. Like if you're trying to describe something to me, I like to know what it is and what it isn't. Like if I don't know what it is, but I need to know what it is, I yeah. like the combination of knowing what it isn't, also what it is. And you're right. There is a lot of times in language, you've probably got something to say. Well, here. the book comes to this. All right. Okay. Well, so we, we better move to that. Part well, then. so what I, you're hitting the nail on the head yeah. in that it doesn't always, our monkey's problem here is that the monkey is saying three things it's not and only one thing right. is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's no balance. Yeah, Yeah. exactly that, Mm -hmm. in that there needs to be a measure of, and probably I think the ratio needs to be the other way around. When I'm using, I prefer to use affirmative language. I like to talk about things that are the case from my perspective or, and to help people towards something, but then also be, you know, aware and saying like, hey, don't do that. You know, this is obvious when we're talking to each other, but I think when we're actually training a dog, this is exactly how I much prefer to train a dog. Of course, if the dog does the wrong thing, I'm going to tell him, Mm. right? And there's going to be a mechanism by which to tell him. That might just be from not getting the reinforcer he thought he was going to get. It might along the way be a non-reinforcing marker that says, hey, you're on the wrong track. You won't find success there. It might be negative reinforcement via a tool out of the behavior that he's chosen to be incorrect. Mm-hmm. And it might be punishment if that behavior is dangerous and I need to stop the stop its progression and make sure he never does it again, right? Yeah. So I have all those options, but the moment that he's decided it's not that – I'm going to start giving him guidance to what it is yeah. rather than just minimal guidance, which is what our monkey's problem is here. The yeah. He carries on about the wrong thing, mm. right? Whereas when the monkey gets taken to the elephant, he need only say, that is not my mum. There's one of his lines, right? And then he could be more descriptive on what his mum is and get those, the next three lines, if he's stuck within, that's his ability to deliver. Yep. And, you know, it's a kid's book there. It's got a rhyme. There's four lines. But within our capacity to, you know, we only have so much time with people. We only have so much time with the dog. We can only do so many repetitions. We can only mm. give so much input. The session can only go so long. So for me, I would much rather spend three quarters of my time telling the dog what is right. Yep. And only that one quarter of the time, if and when it happens, I say, hey, that's incorrect. But I don't need to harp on about why. It's incorrect, yep. right? I can just be like, "That's not it." Yeah, let's let's move get on back to what, to what it, it really is. Yeah. So back to the book. Okay. Right? Yep. So that's what it seems like is that we're just talking about you know talk more about what it is than what it's not. Yep. So we go through a few different animals, and then we go to a parrot, and we we get taken to a frog, and we get taken to a bat, and then uh, eventually we end up back at the elephant. And mm-hmm. what brings us back to the elephant is that we're at the bat. And after the three reasons why it's not a bat, he gives even another reason of to why it's not. With the bat, he says, why do you keep on getting it wrong? Mum doesn't sleep the whole day long. And I told you she's got no wings at all. And anyway, she's not nearly so small. And so then he doesn't even tell the, the butterfly what he is at all. Just says not small. So the butterfly then goes, right, okay, back to the elephant, Mm -hmm. right? So that's where our little monkey has a meltdown. And he goes kind of into what we would at that point say sort of 
helplessness. Yep. And in some instances in training, that's kind of what we're doing. And when we're talking to people, this is what we're doing. And sometimes when we're training dogs, this is what we're doing, where we just keep going, not that, not that, not that. And there can be a reason you might want to do that. Like if the dog is not interested in taking direction or if the people are not interested in taking direction, we could just continually say, it's not that, it's not that, it's not that. And when they've tried everything that they possibly can, you hit this point of helplessness where they go, okay, I'm ready to receive now. Like mm -hmm. if they're not looking for information, and this is something we find with dogs, like super high drive dogs that are committed to what they're doing and they can't imagine that it would be anything else. This might be, you know, when you're starting to do secondary obedience around a decoy or if you've got a reactive dog or something like that, or, you know, like a Kelpie chasing bikes and all that kind of stuff, like it, where you just can't get to it. Like, I want you to do something else. It's not ready to receive. So that's where you just keep saying, it's not that, it's not that, it's not that. And eventually, like our little monkey, it just goes like, I don't know why you keep doing this. Like, this is all the wrong information. They look for information. Mm. So then the monkey says to the butterfly, none of these animals look like me. And the butterfly then goes, well, you never said that your mum looks like you. And here's the thing. So then the butterfly takes us to her babies, which are caterpillars. Yep. And the butterfly says to the monkey, none of my babies look like me. So basically what he's saying is like, you've made assumptions about what I know here. Mm. And those assumptions don't correlate because for most species, you look like, you know, a vague descriptor yep. is the same as your parents and everybody else within the species, right? Mm. But from the butterfly's point of view, it wasn't intuitive that the monkey would look anything like its mother, right? So that has some depth to it as well, Doesn't right? it? <laughs> Who would think you could gleam so much from a <laughs> bloody kid's book? So this is the thing where when we're trying to train dogs mm. – and you're like, why the fuck can't you understand this, right? Like I am trying, you know, it's clear to me what I want you to do in this situation. Yeah. And it's, you know, we're doing behavior modification and someone's coming over to the house. you're the fucking architecture of the work. Exactly, right? Yeah. So when, the, when someone's- architect, I should say. Probably 10,000 years of genetic selection has yep. led us to want dogs that guard a little bit. Not a serious, like proper aggression, but just like, hey, someone's at the door, be alert. Yep. I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm going to bark at them and I'm going to give, I'm going to buy you time to do something about it. And that's, you know, that's 90% of dogs. Yep. Fuck. And, and that's like, we've built dogs that do that. We've selected for it. And and when you ask most people, they're kind of happy with that, they right? Are. They're like, yeah. that's what I want. I don't want to- dog barks when, when, when yeah. husbands say, when I'm not home and the dog barks to protect my wife and kids. Yeah. That's what they want. And they know that the dog's not going to like bite anyone. And, and a lot of the times when you, if, even if someone did break in, the dog just barks around them, yep. right? Like it's not intuitive to the dog that he should attack that person, but he's like, Hey, I meant to bark at you. And I don't know why. Right. That's what I'm trying. That's what I've, I've 10,000 years of genetic selection has led me to want to do that. Mm. But then when we get in this case where we're like, no, I can't have that because the neighbors or whatever. Right. And we're telling the, telling to tell the dog, go to your bed or do whatever yep. instead as an alternate behavior that's not necessarily intuitive to the dog. Like mm. it doesn't necessarily, like to us, it's intuitive. I need you to be quiet to so go over there. But it's possible that the dog's like, there's no circumstance under which you need to be quiet. Fucking people at the door. Like yep. all my genetics tell me that I'm meant to be doing this, all mm. my life experience. And when we lived at that other house before we moved into this apartment, now we're worried about the neighbours you were happy with. I've it. had and 12 now, months of reinforcement on that behaviour. Exactly. Mm. All these things. And so from a trainer to a dog point of view is this page in the book where he says, none of my babies look like me. 
you go, right, like it is not intuitive to you. What was totally obvious and intuitive to the reader, to the monkey, and all the animals that when you, if anybody looks in this book, you can see all the looks on their face, like where they're being told that this monkey's their kid. They're like, this monkey's not my fucking kid, yep. <laughs> right? But to the butterfly, that's not intuitive at all. Mm. They, that That's not obvious, right? So I feel like there's depth in that. Massive. But how often do you think... Like I face this sort of all the time where when people are trying to sort of cross worlds a little bit, even within the dog space. So, you know, a a huge majority of my clients are people who are quite good pet dog trainers, but they're looking to step it up, right? And maybe start competing in a sport or Mm. something like that. And they want to, because they've heard me talk about it on the podcast, they know that that's sort of what I'm into is that, you know, it's that next step. Yeah, you know, I'm not a world champion of anything, and and probably won't be. But I'm the co- I'm a very effective coach at bringing people out of like being pretty good to mm-hmm. making them very very good, right? And so there's a few things where now these people are changing worlds. That's just not intuitive. And so when if you've been training pet dogs your whole career, and I start saying, well, you need to create windows of opportunity where this dog goes gets to go fucking crazy, right? Like you need to start creating power. Mm-hmm. And it's not intuitive to those people how or why they could do that. And so my language has to, I have to account for that and know like, hey, this is not obvious to you or you'd be doing it. We wouldn't be having this conversation. Mm. And so creating the language and the framework around which I do is to minimize my assumptions and also, you know, understand that if I do make an assumption whereby I confuse someone, like if it's a leap too far, I'm the problem, not them, because it is my job. Like this monkey, he is trying to tell the butterfly what his mum looks like, not the butterfly. Like it's not the butterfly's responsibility to understand that. That's Mm -hmm. why he's asking. If he knew what his mum looked like or where she was, he would just take it to him. He's very helpful. He's trying. He goes through like 10 other animals, right? I saw a good meme on that the other day, and I don't know if I'm butchering this, but it says something along the lines of, I can tell you what it is. I can't tell you how to understand it. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I think that's a big part of it too. But then like I think I would go an extra step from that and say, I'll help you try and understand Th- it. That is the evolution of it, of course. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I agree with that entirely. And as a teacher, whether I'm the teacher of the student or I'm a teacher of the dog, yeah. I'm the teacher, they're the learner, whichever, you know, whoever they, whatever they are. It is my job to reframe it in a way where they can understand it or mm. break it into pieces where we go like, hey, I know that the big picture is too much for you, yep. right? I'll break it into a piece that you can understand and then I'll bolt another piece onto that and then I'll bolt another piece onto that Mm. so that it doesn't ever have to be intuitive to you. All I need you to do is just understand one piece more and one piece more and that's how we build, right? Goodness me, you sound like you're talking about incremental training. Exactly, (laughs) right? Progressive learning, success by approximation, all that successive approximation, all the things that we know, Mm. that's sort of – you know, we have to keep that in mind when we're dealing with people and with dogs. Isn't that miraculous that people know it about dogs, but not about people? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And that's what I say, you know, and like, it was a big reminder for me at the seminar on the weekend is that I'm pretty good with dogs. I can train dogs to do stuff. I'm Mm. I'm, I'm very good with dogs, but I'm much better with people. And what I'm, uh, my skill set is this, like helping this monkey through in saying like, Hey man, be more specific about what you want and break down these exact points. One thing I find myself sort of saying all the time, especially because, you know, my client, my average clientele, as I just said, is I, people who want to get into the precision aspect of dog training. What I constantly find myself saying is that if you expect precision from your dog, you 
yourself must be precise, must be capable of being precise. Yeah. And so there's a lot of training that happens absent the dog. Mm. And if you can't give clear signals, if you can't be consistent in what you're doing, then there's no hope that the dog will be. And in fact, it's unfair to think that he will, right? Yep. Because you're not giving the right information. And of course, like that's one of the issues we face, especially in that sort of world is where people are happy to go like, hey, that's wrong. That's wrong. And telling a dog they're wrong is easy, mm. right? Especially when we've got the right tools, it's easy. But, and that's fine. I'm 100% on board with doing that, 100%. But it behoves you then to also be giving the good direction mm. in saying what they're like, right? So the next bit is on this same page here where the butterfly has taken the monkey to the caterpillars and said, these are my babies, I couldn't know. Yep. The butterfly then says to the monkey, so she looks like you. Well, if that's the case, we'll soon discover her hiding place, right? So maybe I should read exactly what he says on the other page. says... Yeah, here we go. He says, butterfly, butterfly, can't you see? None of these creatures look like me. That's what primes it. And so the, the butterfly looks at the monkey and yep. says exactly that. He says, so she looks like you. Well, if that's the case, we'll soon discover her hiding place. This is my favorite part of the book. Yeah. Right? This is the bomb. This is where it gets awesome. Yeah. On the next page, I'm going to show it to you like it's a big reveal. Yeah. He arrives at the mum, right? Yeah. No. So the butterfly has taken the monkey to another monkey. And the butterfly looks at it and goes, no, that's my dad. Oh, he's got a little doodle. Because yeah. the butterfly is so literal. Yep. Right? And he's Now, I don't know if it's necessarily that the butterfly is so literal or he's been misled so many times that now that he actually has information, he goes to like 100% off of it. Yep. But he then says like, no, that's, that's my dad. And so the butterfly has accounted for the monkey's doodle yep. <laughs> and goes, she looks like you. I'll go there. And so there's an, there's another assumption in there that we've made, but we're yep. on the right track. And then the dad goes, hey, let's go to mum. And then everybody's happy. That's yep. the end of the book. But so there's some fucking layers to this That's shit. A, right? That is a bomb drop for that book. Yeah. Yeah. And so for That's me- That's very clever. Very it's clever. It's great. They're great books. Yeah. The brief synopsis of the Gruffalo, which is their main book, is it's about a, a mouse that's wandering through the woods and the, the snake and the fox and everybody wants to eat the mouse. And so he makes up this fictional creature, the Gruffalo, that he's going to see and tells mm. them that the Gruffalo will eat them. If he's late, the Gruffalo will come looking for him and he'll eat this other animal so they shouldn't eat him. And then he encounters the Gruffalo, this fictional creature that he's made, and the Gruffalo wants to eat him. So then he walks back through the woods. He then tells the Gruffalo, well, actually, I'm the biggest badass, but he's primed everybody else to be scared of the Gruffalo. So as the mouse walks back through the woods with the Gruffalo, everybody runs away. <laughs> and the mouse is like, see, like, yep. I'll kill you if you're not careful. And the yep. Gruffalo is like, whoa, this mouse is a badass, right? <laughs> so they're, they're great books. They're excellent books. But this one in particular has been on my mind a lot. And I think that for all of us in, you know, everybody, right? Like, but in the animal industry, when we're training dogs, I feel like there's so much to get out of that in that mm. we should be spending more time telling the dog when they're right. Of course, when they're wrong, we have to tell them, right? When the butterfly takes the monkey to the wrong animal, then he has to say, that's not correct. That yep. is not my mom. But he should then be saying, it is this, she does look like this, like, Let's go for more guidance. Let's lean towards telling us what it is. Yeah. Of like course, if he led with that, she looks just like me without a doodle. Yeah. Um, we would have been there. It would have been, been a two-page book. Yeah, that's right. It would have been the end. Right? There she is on the tree. Yeah. yeah. And that's the easy, positive, fun interactions and the easily trained dogs is when we do that, yep. right? When we go like, hey, this is what I want from you. Yep. And there's so many ways with a dog that we can do that. Like they're shaping, molding, capturing all the things, even what do you call it when you demo for the mimicry, mimicry all the yeah. things, 
all the things that we have at our disposal. Mm. That's why I feel like knowing all of this kind of stuff and not being attached to any one of them is so important because when our learner is not learning the way that we want, yep. it's not their fault. It's never their fault, mm. right? It's our fault as a teacher to then be like, hey, I have to figure out how to motivate you in this way, mm. right? Now, we're limited in how we can do that. And sometimes with people, we do have the capacity to say, your intrinsic motivation is not here. Like if you get someone turning up to say NDTF and they're on their phone the whole time and they're not paying any attention, there's limited scope aside from teaching as best as you can. Yep. Like this is what I find, you know, the 70 people in the room on the weekend, I can't tailor to 70 people, but what I can do is try my best to keep everyone engaged. Right. You, but I yeah, know I, I lose agree. people. I know yep. I lose people yep. for sure. I do for sure. But that's outside of my control. One-to-one -one with people, if you've come to me, then I'm like, I've got to figure it out, right? Like we've got to find what's your motivator. Mm. And that's the same with the dog. We've got to be like, okay, how can I motivate you to do this? How do we build that ignition? Are you food motivated? Can we bring more power to that? Do you want to play? What is it that you're into? Like what is the viable strategy for reinforcement? What's something that I can replicate over and over and over that I can make you want in order to have you learn? And then what's the mechanism by which I'm going to convince you to do the things that I ultimately want you to do? Mm. Of course, if you do the wrong thing, I'm going to tell you, hey, that's incorrect. I'm not going to pretend that the snake is my mum. I'm not going to I'm not that committed to the only saying the right thing. Yeah. I'm going to say, no, that's wrong. Right. And I might give some minimal feedback as to what's wrong about it, but I'm immediately going to offer what's right for sure. Mm -hmm. Right. I feel like there's that is the path to effective learning is being clear and moldable to say, like, hey, this is what we need. But then also understanding it from the perspective of the learner to understand just like our butterfly couldn't know what was intuitive to the monkey was not intuitive at all to the butterfly. The butterfly couldn't have known that he would look anything like his mother. Yep. But then the final step is dealing within that being literal yep. where it's like, oh no, I meant kind of like me, yep. not exactly the same. And it can be the same with dogs. So, you know, the example I always use, and it's what came up on the weekend when we're talking about this is... I've taught shit tons of dogs to know how to heal. I've been in the in the process of I've taught it myself to many dogs and I have been in the process for many other people. And I'm telling you, when you teach a biting dog how to heal and they're also how to bite, and when you marry those two things, the first time you teach a biting dog to out, especially if it's on a sleeve, and then tell the dog to heal, he will heal against a decoy. I've seen it yeah. every single time. And he is not wrong. Yeah. From his perspective. You just said heel and he thinks I need to be by someone's left-hand side. Yeah. And, mm. and likely his understanding of healing involves the reinforcer. And when the reinforcer he wants is that sleeve, he knows like, yeah, I've got all these reference points, these contact points against the leg, whatever. Like this is the picture of healing. Yep. And it's against the person with the reinforcer. Yep. In the same way that the butterfly took the monkey to his dad. He's like, this is the literal, this is my literal understanding of what you want. And at that point- the monkey does the right thing. He goes, oh, that's my dad. He doesn't make a big show and go, no, 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 blah, 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 reasons it's not the mom. He goes, oh, that's the dad. And we should say the same thing to the dog in that moment. We go like, hey, that seems right to you. I yep. get that. It's not right. I'm not yep. going to pay you for it. I am going to help you out of that position. And it's going to be negative reinforcement in, in one way or another, but it's not going to be a correction. It's not going to be a like a crank. It's going to be like, hey, that seems to you. I know you think That's you're the doing the right thing. the first time you've done that behavior. So you yeah. need to be gently reminded or yeah. not not so much reminded because you, you can't be reminded of something you don't know, yeah. but you need to be gently coaxed into the correct through, position. Yeah. Right? Like, hey, yeah, man, I agree. I'm going to help you out of this. Totally, right? I'm totally with you. And so 
understanding the perspective of the learner and knowing the behaviors that you are trying to teach and how they could possibly be interpreted mm. is super important to understand is the learner wrong? Is yep. the dog saying like, no, I don't want to heal against you. I want to heal against him. Or does he really genuinely think he's doing the right thing? Mm. And the mechanism is going to be the same, right? Like we're going to negatively reinforce into the correct position, right? But how we might do that would be really different if we decide the dog is like just taking the easy route versus is genuinely thinks that's what it is because they're not like, oh, mate, you've seen me do it. Like, I'm like, hey, silly Billy. Like, I literally say that. I'm like, it's over here. And yeah. I set the dog up. I know that's what's going to happen because I've seen it happen enough times that now I have the long line on the dog and I have the prong collar on or whatever. And I'm like, hey, it's over here, bro. And mm. I'm not like, oh, it's over here. And I'm not even angry at him. I'm just like, hey, I, I know. I get it. I see this from your perspective. I'm going to change yeah. that on you. And there's loads of different examples where we get that, where it's like, this is not intuitive to me. Yeah. And I need, this is my best understanding. I'm giving you what I can. You've properly motivated me. You've properly educated me, but there's a gap between what we perceive. Yep. And you can't know that I can't know that the monkey's mum looks like the monkey and you can't know that the butterfly's babies look like caterpillars. Yeah. It's not so truly a, instrumental yet. Yeah. There's mm. a break between what we perceive. Yep. And if we get angry at each other and if we start punishing at that point, yep. then we create, you know, that's where conflict comes from, right? Yes. Is where, where the mm. dog or the, the person is doing the best that they can. They really are tr offering their best. And mm. if we've motivated them correctly, they will be, regardless of whether they're right or wrong. The dog is usually, if you've motivated them correctly, they're giving the best that they can by yep. the best of their understanding. And you're and not seeding an aversive into it at that point. In exactly. Time. That's where mm. the conflict comes. It's yep. when, when the dog is like thinks, when you tell the dog to do one thing and he goes, got it. Like, mm. I, I know what you want here. Right. Yep. And then you punish because the dog is doing not what you want him to do, but exactly as he thought you want him to do. That's where conflict comes from in training. Mm. And, you know, where do we see this the most within the, say, within the PSA community or, or not just PSA community, but any surprise scenario sport where people are putting the, you know, the detour neutrality into the healing. We see that a dog has been taught to heal and he's taught to heal beautifully, right? His healing's amazing. And, and it's mostly via positive reinforcement, right? Then we get beautiful bite work. And what always happens in the development of the bite work is the clatter stick, the chicky chicky chaka, right? So that clatter stick becomes a, the dog's command to bite, right? Every time I've seen this decoy rattling that stick, it leads to the bite for me. And that's the command to bite. And normally we've already activated the dog, especially like if it's a young dog when we're building this up, we've brought the dog in, we've activated him, the decoy is now agitating. And so that agitation becomes a, a precursor to biting. Mm. He's told to bite, then the clatter sticks happens and then he eventually bites, right? So it's a precursor to it. So one day we decide to marry those two things together and the dog's healing and the decoy rattles the stick. And of course the dog goes to bite it, bite him. Of course he does. That's definitely going to happen the mm. first time. And if we punish the dog in that moment, that's how the flat healing happens. Because then the dog's like, hey, I don't know which one of these things you don't like me doing because you told me to heal and I was healing really nice. Yep. And then I got the other command to bite, which is the clatter stick. And I was about to do that really nice. And now I got punished and it's unclear to me which one of these things you're unhappy with me doing. Right. So that's why there's got to be a clearer communication system. And that's mm. why if we're going to use a tool that stops the dog biting in that moment, we must also have used that tool in one way or another to activate the healing so that when the dog goes to leave the healing to go to the bite and we go, hey, that's not, you've misread this, my friend. You're not wrong. Like you're not in trouble. You are wrong. You've just misread it. And yep. I'm going to help you understand it. 
And by having that as a mindset rather than fuck you, you've done the wrong thing. Mm. It's like, hey, you are doing exactly as I have taught you to do. Only today I'm adding an extra layer. Yep. Right. And I'm going to help you because we're back to learning. Mm. You don't know how to heal in the presence of this decoy and you don't know how to hear the clatter stick without it being an activation for biting. And we're bringing those two things together. And by acknowledging that this is a teaching session, we'll be fine. Yep. And I'll help you into the correct position and we'll go back. We'll accept, you know, we accept a reduction in criteria. We accept some confusion. We accept all those kinds of things and we work the dog through it. And then we ultimately say like, hey, that's correct. Now go get what you wanted. Here's the bite. Right? Yep. But if we just mush him together and punish him for doing a bad version of either one of those things. Now he does both with, with caution, right? With hesitance. And we slow the dog down, we flatten him out. And, and at least in the, in the short term, we confuse the dog and confusion leads to a reduction in drive. Yep. <sighs> That's my rant about it. It's good. That's the monkey puzzle. It's not a rant. It's actually very insightful. It's a beautiful anomaly that happens when you're watching detection dogs working for the first time. Thinking about the monkey story, it actually correlates nicely because a lot of the times when you're trying to build a dog up to understand an odor, like you're spending time coaching that dog through the system of what it's supposed to do. So you're using whatever vessel or device that you're using to capture the odor or to hold it, you know, steady in the environment, like a one of Mike's pots or something mm -hmm. like that. And while this is happening, you're generating the behavior on how you want this dog to go forward in this new construct that you're starting to develop around scent detection. The wondrous thing is when you introduce the non-odor. So that's the first time the dog learns. I watch people learning about this and they're talking about, oh, yeah, the dog gets the odor. The dog gets the odor. The dog has no fucking idea about the odor. Mm. It's just leaching from the device. Like it's part of the background, you know, like it's like things it's that still we, a coincidence at that point. Well, it's, you know, it's like that phenomenon that happens that there's red Toyotas of your make and model that drive up and down the road all the time. Before you got that car, you never saw them. Mm -hmm. You know, you're oblivious to them. Now suddenly you can't not see them. They're everywhere. Because you've never really had a reason to know it before or understand it. And it's the same thing around scent detection. I love this part of it. So I love teaching and coaching the dog, this is how you have to behave in this certain environment. So when I'm doing this, this is what you need to do. You need to go up, stick your nose in there and hold it on this platform for a period of time. Then you introduce something that, that doesn't have the odor in it and you still allow the dog, as you said, you're not wrong. You know, you still allow the dog to go over and display that type of behavior, but the dog's got to learn that's not it. You know, mm. because you've spent the whole time coaching it, the dog's got to come to the position of understanding, holy shit, it's not just about sticking my nose down this device. Yeah. It's about the odor coming off it. And that's the only time I'm ever reinforced. And I think the first time I really understood that, that was just a system of complete mindfuckery. Mm. You know, like when I realized the dog only realizes what it is because the first time it learned what it isn't, mm -hmm. you know, then it had a recollection of going, holy shit, not only do I know how to do the right behavior, but I also know what it is that I'm looking for at the right time as well. I love that. I love seeing that in obedience, you know, like fundamentally when you're introducing some of these new skills, it'd be like not seeing the detour sign and making a mistake and having someone yell and scream at you, whether somebody just said, oh, no, this is the wrong way. Just, Go back the other way. It's a little bit longer, but you'll still arrive at the same location. Yeah. You know, and that's the nice thing about watching training take place when it's done correctly, that the dog can figure it out and still realize I'm not in trouble for this. You know, it might take me a little bit of time, but I'm still going to arrive at the same place and I'm going to get reinforced for it as well. Mm -hmm. So it's still, you know, the pot of gold is still at the end of the rainbow, which is absolutely fantastic. I love mm. it.
Yeah. It's an interesting one. And then when we talk about as trainers, as we develop and understand, even to use your scent detection analogy, there's a lot of people who in their training system haven't gone on to the the second tube yet. Right? Yeah. And so they're like, no, I know what this is. Right? Yeah. Like I, I understand this. I've got my head in the tube. I'm getting reinforced. I'm taking in this whole picture. And then they see what looks like the identical tube and they go running over and they stick their head in there and they don't get reinforced. And it's like, hey, what the fuck? Right. Yeah. And then they start throwing out the old system and saying like, oh, it's totally wrong. And yeah, and whatever, I know. Right? And it's like, no, there was a component of it that was right. Yeah. Right. We just and, missed the point of it. Yeah. Mm. And, and and we see that quite a lot online. We see a, you know, a big Facebook post about it today. And, and you see that with like the tribalism within the camps of training. And it's, it's crazy that people do this is that you can be totally right. And also the thing that you're saying is totally wrong can also be totally right. Yeah. Right. And that's something that I think relates to this monkey puzzle book as well. Like it, what's intuitive, what's obvious and intuitive is not always there. And sometimes maybe people take things then literally that aren't meant to be taken literally. Mm. They're meant to be figurative or they overlook into detail of one specific case. Yep. I think that's something that we see in dog training a lot as well is like in the same way that the butterfly looked at the monkey and go, right, okay, looks like you. Like we take that holus bolus, right? Like every minor detail and that's how we arrived at the monkey's dad. Yep. Rather than saying like, oh, I see the process here, right? Like it's it's the overall picture that we're looking at mm. rather than the the specifics because the specifics were for that dog. And that's why, you know, I'm sure that we spoke about this recently is that, you know, that's why I love the understanding the basis of it all rather than the specifics of it of any particular case. But, you know, but that takes coaching for you to be able to arrive at that conclusion oh, too, yeah, because yeah. for the monkey and the butterfly like that, you know, like when we're talking about this metaphorically, this is about both of them coming to a recollection of what it took to actually arrive at that conclusion. Mm -hmm. You know, and there's times where I understand why people would make that mistake initially. Like a dog learning for the first time, so are they. They're learning for the first time. Ah, right. Now I can see because somebody has actually spent time categorizing it and incrementally breaking it down for me so I can see where I'm going wrong with that. Mm. Like if you know that and you're still doing the wrong thing, well, then you are an idiot. Mm. You know, like you're choosing, like you're making a conscious choice to have access to that information and still not using it adequately to further advance yourself or the dog or the human that you're teaching or anything like that. But if you don't know that, you can't be held accountable for something like that because you're still ignorant of what the fact is. Yeah. And therefore somebody really needs to systematically lay it down for you. Yeah. And you need to be ready to receive that. It's like we were discussing before. So mm. That Facebook memories thing really has a way of kicking you in the dick, right? Yes, it does. Things come up and you see things that you said 10 years ago, yep. five years ago, Things that you were ignorant or angry about. Or, yeah. And so yeah. I used to say things about dog training and, you know, I was like the, the Mandalorian. I was like, this is the way, right? Yep. And it's the only way. And of course there were people that told me that's not the only way. That's our way. Hmm. Um, but that's not the only way. But the way that- now, I don't know if it's their fault and I'd, or if it was my fault. And I'd say that's probably a-, a Combination. A, yeah, both, right? Yeah. In that I wasn't convinced that anybody that was telling me, when I was saying, this is the way, this is the only way, it's the only way you're going to get these results is by doing this. And people go, no, it's not. You know, I, I still think in a lot of those cases, there were people who had, you know, jealousy in their mind when they say, no, it's not, or- you know, couldn't understand what I was doing and, and that's why they say it's not going to work and that kind of stuff. 
I don't know that there was, I don't know whether there was anybody who was saying to me with love and compassion, hey, that's that's not. Are you suggesting that there are nefarious people in the dog training community? Yeah, but there also is others as well, right? So I yep. don't know for sure whether there's people who were just like, hey, fuck you, I want to have an argument, I can't understand what you're doing, I don't like it, blah, mm. blah, blah, who mm. will say those kinds of things. But very good chance there were people who were saying with love and compassion, hey, that's not it, man, but they didn't have – the right words to say. In fact, they were probably the monkey early on in the story where they're saying three reasons it's not and maybe didn't even give me the one reason why it is. That's why our job as trainers, when we're trying to tell people why what we think works is to acknowledge if what they're doing works, I can hundred percent acknowledge that. I can say totally it does. It, it absolutely does. I see it. I can, I see it. Yep. And I don't need to tell you you're wrong for me to be able to explain why I can be right as well. Mm. And then maybe we can take a piece from each other's and we can say, well, given this, given your circumstances, I might choose that path, right? Like that might be how I become right as well. But the only way to get to that point of view is to really, when you talk to people about why you don't think what they're doing is correct or why that it might be correct, but there's other ways and they shouldn't be talking in absolutes, is to make sure that when you are talking about that, it's obvious that you are speaking with love and compassion rather than with jealousy or anger, mm. right? And and if we could do that in the industry, dogs worldwide would be killing it, right? Yeah. Because if we could just look at each other and go like, hey, man, like, that's good. I like it. But, you know, that's I would do it this way and for these reasons. And these are the circumstances that have led me to do that. You know, I saw in a, one of the groups today some Jono – He's obviously not read the room and is posting his like terrible bite work in one of the bite work groups. Like, hey, look at me, I'm killing it. And you can see he genuinely thinks he's killing it and he might be an awesome dude. And he immediately just gets cut to pieces. Yeah. And there's no compassion in the people, what they're saying to this guy. Yeah. And they, they don't understand that sometimes that's a person at the start of their journey. Yeah. But he thinks he's at the end of the journey. Yeah. And maybe in the group of people that he has access to prior to posting into this group, he was. Mm. And now it's like, oh, you're week one, day one, right, compared to everybody in this group. And I don't know, you know, my mechanism for dealing with that is to not get involved, yep. right? But it would be better if there were a way, but I don't know that he has the open. I don't know whether he has the openness to it or whether there's someone willing to say it, just be like, hey, that's probably not very good, right? Yep. And while effective, it it's not like – you know, we shouldn't be doing it that way. There's other ways. We've progressed. Here's six other ways, right? Why don't you try one of them? See if one of them fits a little better. And if not, stick with yours because mm. you're happy with it. But here's some more. What we typically see in the industry is just like, you wrong, you moron, you piece of shit. Yep. Right? And it's hard. It's hard how do we how we frame that thing. But the more that we can frame towards being the monkey that says, hey, my mum looks like me. Mm. And then when the butterfly gets it wrong, go, oh, like- Oh, I see. Uh, I wasn't as good a descriptive, but I see how you got. Well, I see how we ended up at my dad, but that's good enough because my dad now can take me to my mum, right? So, like, there's much to it, man. There is, and you know, I reflect. I know I've told this story several times, but the kindest person for me back then was Alec Jones, mm -hmm. who mentored me in Schutzen in the early days. I always reflect, and I'm very thankful for Alec because he. He took me out of a comfort zone in ADT in those early days. And it's not a slant on ADT. It's I say it's my problem, not ADT's problem. But Alex sort of woke me up that there is a whole world outside the insular little bubble that I was living in at the time. 
it was a big wake up call for me. And he did it in a loving and caring way. Mm-hmm. You know, like he wasn't mean to me. He wasn't offensive to me. He didn't punish me for it. He didn't kick me up the ass. He just showed me what was outside my spectrum of understanding at the time. And when I kind of looked at it, I mean, I was in complete denial. I didn't want to acknowledge that because mm-hmm. then, you know, what I believed would be wrong. Mm-hmm. So, and that's very hard, you know, like to suffer the slings and arrows of your core beliefs and then be put in that point of challenge where you're thinking, no, no, this is the fact as I currently know it. But that's, I think that's the thing that you can be excited about rather than reject or be so overwhelmed and shaken about is it's what you currently know. Mm. And I know it can be challenging at the time because that's your beliefs at the time. But it, it doesn't mean that it's an actual reality. It doesn't mean that you have to get so angry about it and so shaken to the core over it. It means that you can consider it. And you just have to look. Like you just have to take a – you don't have to do anything. But you should consider settling down and not letting that inner monologue say, dude, don't, don't accept this. This is wrong. Mm. You know, I mean sometimes the – what I call the inner narrative or the devil on your shoulder who was basically saying, don't do this, don't let them in, otherwise you're wrong. Sometimes you just have to put that little voice on silent and just say, all right, there's a possibility of education, there's some information that's available. It doesn't mean that I have to take it, but I should hear the person out and at least consider it and not be the type of person who is just sitting there with the intent to reply. Mm. That's a thing that I've really had to work hard on myself with when I get angry about things or I feel that I need to vindicate my position or something like that is not sit there in the discussion and not hear what the other person says because they might as well be on mute the whole time. Mm. If I'm already preloaded and I've already got something loaded into my mind, I'm not receptive and there is no love and kindness in my heart at that point. Mm. All it is is me justifying my position immediately, which is basically just shutting the other person down. I've given them no time or any consideration to be educated by what they need to tell me. There mm. is none. There are a lot of life skills and that is, that's a great little book for a little kid to read. After reading that, does it ever make you wonder how many parents have read that and not got the point of it? It took me a few goes. It took me a few goes to realize the monkey was a boy because it never tells us what the monkey is. And so they just refer to him as the monkey. Yep. And then it, w- it took me a few readings when he gets to the dad, I was like, oh, yeah, the monkey, the butterfly was like close enough. Right. Yep. And so that is why f- it's been on my mind lately. It's why we're talking about it now is when I realized that the monkey's a boy. That's why the butterfly took the monkey to the dad. It never tells us the monkey's a boy, but the monkey was like, okay. Mm. The, the, the butterfly was like, right, got it. Like, we'll go to that. And that's the depth of the book. And I could be wrong. Maybe yep. Julia Donaldson will contact us and go like, nah, you were right the first time. It's just the the butterfly made a mistake, right? And thanks for reading my fucking book online. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're pushing people to it. The, the, Absolutely. All the books are fantastic. Yeah, all those good. books are really good. My favorite one is there's one called A Squash and a Squeeze, and it's about this, this little old lady who complains that her house is too small. So the wise old man in the area tells her to just start bringing in her farm animals and doesn't give her any reason why. And so before long, she's got, like this disaster because all the animals from the farmer in the house and then she's still complaining that the house is too small. And so he's like, oh, we'll take all the animals outside. And then she's like, well, my house is enormous. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, there's a little message in them all, right? But, there is. But for that one, I, I honestly, that was the mind blower for me when I was like, hang on, this monkey's a boy, right? And mm. that's why the butterfly has taken him to the dad because he's literal. And so he's not wrong. Yep. And that's what we're showing here is that, 
when you want a positive outcome, when you're leading the monkey towards its mom, when you're leading the student towards understanding what you want them to do, when you're leading the dog to understand the behavior that you want them to, to understand, mm. tell them when they're wrong for sure. Yep. But guide them towards being right yeah. and then understand that your guidance is not necessarily always intuitive to them, right? Yep. What's obvious to you is not necessarily always obvious to them. So you got to accept that mm. and you can't necessarily account for that all the time. You have to then go like, oh, I see we've made a mistake. Like let's course correct. So you can be wrong in what you do, but I can be wrong in what I've done as well. And that's how we both become right is when we acknowledge like, oh, you're doing exactly what I've told you to do. Yep. And it's still not what I want you to do. So therefore I am not telling you the right thing. Mm. That's where the depth of it really comes in. And, and when you get that with the dog, that's where training just fucking escalates. And, and all of this relies on a properly motivated dog because as a, like it's the foundation of everything in dog training is if the dog, if you have something to viably reinforce the dog with and he's a willing participant in the, the session, mm. he's going to do what you want. And if he's not, then you've got a couple of options. Like, But the first should be to make sure that he actually wants what you have, right? Yep. That you're properly motivating the dog. Absolutely. And if the dog's properly motivated, he'll be trying to find what you want. And then you can use all kinds of guidance to help him find the right thing, yep. right? You can use, you know, pay with that thing, or you can use some pressure to get him in. And you can use punishment if they do the completely wrong thing. Like you can do all of these things with a properly motivated dog, always understanding that if the motivation is correct, and that's your job as a trainer is to properly motivate the dog, find what's right and get all that in place before you even think about training any of the monkey drills, yep. right? When you've got properly motivation, if the dog's getting it wrong, it, that's your fault. If mm. he's properly motivated and he's not understanding what it is that you want, that is not the problem of the learner. That's the problem of the teacher. And then yep. you've got to go like, right, okay, like how do I convey that to you, mm. right? And when we get that, when you think of it, when well, for me anyway, when I think of it through that lens, that's when training becomes really easy. Yeah. And, you know, recently, yeah, and you find holes in your training. So, like, just recently I was- When don't you? Yeah, exactly, right? When, tell me a day that you don't go out there and find something that could be better or yeah. you've done wrong. So, you know, just recently I'm playing with stands. And stand isn't a behavior that I've put a lot of work into because there's no stand in PSA, right? So, I just need to be able to tell my dog to stand certain places, but it's not like it's a position under which I'm going to be judged. Unless I choose to because in the change of the position, I could use it if I want to, but I'm not required to. And so, I had Remy in the middle and I just told him to stand and he sat. Like, he didn't understand it. Like, he, it wasn't obvious. And so, then it became very clear to me that no amount of pressure was going to make it happen because he didn't know what I wanted. And of course, like I could then manipulate him into it and get him right. But then in re-educating him, I then had to go like, oh, I'm not where I thought I was here. And just correcting him is not going to help. I have to go back to the learning phase and figure out how can I teach this to this dog? Now it took like 30 seconds, right? Mm. Because all the mechanisms were in place, but it was a simple switch for me. It was that I had the reinforcer on me and to get him to stand and not like drift towards me and allow me to walk through it. I just went to a direct reward of the reinforcer on the floor so that it was something, it gave him a point of reference yep. just to stay relative to. And then I could reintroduce, pick it up and like 30 seconds later, he can stand from the middle. Right. Yep. But it's looking at it and going like, Oh, I have not adequately explained what I want to this dog. And then when I think that I have, and he's still not doing it, I go, Oh, he is not perceiving this the way that I had anticipated that he would. I just got to change this little thing so that from his perception, he's doing what he knows 
cool, got it. We can put it all back together. Away we go. No mm. conflict, right? Like I don't have to have a fight with him over it. I don't have to piss him off. I don't have to like potentially scar up all those behaviors. And, you know, that's not to say that I'm not a balanced trainer. Within that 30 seconds, I use punishment. I use negative reinforcement. I use positive reinforcement. Like all those things happened so that I could narrow down for him to exactly what I wanted him to do. And then he's like, sweet, got it, man. Let's, let's continue. Ready? Like put that in the Rolodex. Mm. We can put that on the shelf. We've got that as a behavior now. Let's carry on. Stop fucking me around. All right? Perfect. Away we go. <sighs> got anything else? One quick thing on the wind up before we do shut the episode down is that again, you know, like remi- like speaking about things like this reminds me about my own life experiences. And I, you know, I remember one when I was uh, an electrician, and one of the favorite words that I like throwing around at the moment is architecture because mm-hmm. I believe that architecture is by design something that we all should strive to. We should have, you know, some sort of diagram in our mind of exactly what it is and then break it down into mm-hmm. bite-sized chunks or increments that we can work from. This was a lesson that happened to me just after I finished my apprenticeship as an electrician and I went into a guy's house and I said, so what do you want? And he said, oh, I want a couple of PowerPoints. And I said, where do you want them? And he said, oh, one there and one there. He pointed roughly to some areas. I put them in and, we, you know, after I'd done, he walked back in the room and goes, no, not there there and i said that's where you pointed when i was there and he goes yeah but i'm putting my tv in the corner now i have to pull a lead out like i was so disappointed with myself because really what i should have got him to do was either put some x's on a wall or we should just done a quick mud map of the room Mm. and got him to actually draw it on there and then you know like sign off on it to say well that's exactly where i said it would be Mm -hmm. because when he pointed in the room where he pointed, I put the PowerPoints. Mm-hmm. But then he came back in and said, no, they're not where I want them to be. Whereas when you're working with an architectural design, they are exactly where you and the client and the architect have all agreed that they're going to go in. So when you're in the skeletal stages of a house being built, when the framework is going up and you go in there and you're going to run your cables in and you put your bracket mounting brackets in before the plasters get there, you look at the map, measure it out, allow for 10 or 15 mil of plaster and then you say okay that's exactly where it needs to go or this is the only place it can go because that's where you know your framework is and that's the only place you could mount it to so Mm -hmm. that's where it has to go Mm -hmm. okay you've got a guarantee but it's all laid out for you because you've designed it somebody has sat down sketched it up and everybody knows that it's supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. It's not just an anomalous position that one person has an Im- uh, like an image in their mind, you have an image in your mind and it doesn't marry up the end result. Like you're looking at it and go, no, that's, that's fucking hideous. That's mm-hmm. not how it's supposed to be. Yeah. So, you know, I correlate that and I think about those life lessons and it's the same thing, the old one where I talked about, you can always cut some off, but you can't cut some on. Yeah. You know, I think about those lessons because just because they were in a trade that had nothing to do with dog training, doesn't mean that it has nothing to do with training in itself no, it's or nothing to do with understanding, you know, how things need to be better or clearer because we just don't formulate a good understanding of it. Those things should stick with you for the rest of your life. Mm. Like you should reflect on those things and not look at it. Oh, I just got a beat up and a kick in the ass by the boss. Well, Gary, the guy who told me that cut some off, but can't cut some on. He never kicked me up the ass. He was actually really kind to me. Like he sat me down. I felt fucking terrible. I thought, oh, my God, I've wasted hundreds or thousands of dollars worth of cable. I hadn't. We were, there was a fix around it. But I already felt that Gary didn't need to punish me. I already felt like shit. 
He sat me down. He was so kind to me and he told me that story and it's been with me for the rest of my life. Mm. I was probably 16 when that happened, 16 years old. So that's like 34 years ago when that happened. So those sort of things and the, the things that you're talking about now and, you know, even the the lesson in that book, I mean, you know, Rip's still only a little kid, but I imagine in the future you and him are going to have another discussion on this when he well, gets older. Well, we already do. So, like, he's yeah. old enough now. You know, he's nearly six and so – He kind of gets it. Well, we talk about it. Yeah, that's my thing is trying to – tear things apart and understand the point of them. And yep. so we read the book and it's all rhymey and funny and it's, you know, blah, blah, blah. But then afterwards I always say to him like, Hey, what was that about? Yeah. What, what do you think that was about? We went and saw Peter rabbit the other day, Peter rabbit too. And I was like, Hey, what was that about? Oh, uh, it's not just about a rabbit that steals from the farmer's market. Right. Like there's yep. a story in that. And why are we, you know, like, why did we watch that? What do you feel like after that? What's, Turns out it's important. And it's about how he ditches his real friends to go with these cool kids that then fuck him over, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, your real friends really care for you and the other friends, like, they were just using him, basically. Yep. Peter Rabbit, they were using him to steal from the farmer's market. So, like, even in all these little kids' movies, there's a story. It's like they're, they're made to entertain, but that's why I try and sort of pluck things out of it. And, you know, like, he's got – and it's working, I think. I think I'm raising a thoughtful, kind kid. I, I think I am. I see that. Because, like, there's a kid in his class that's, you know, the the problem kid. And, and I was like, you know, there's a reason for that, man. Like, he's not just an asshole, mm. right? Like, like, and it's not to say you just have to allow yourself to be bullied by this kid, but you have to then sort of come around to the point, like, you can change his behavior and you don't have to be on the team of he's an asshole. You can sort of – the more nice you are to him, not for being an asshole, but if you include him in stuff and all these sort of things, like all that will fade away. Mm. Like his life circumstances, he's five. He's not evil, right? <laughs> like he's a, he's a normal five-year-old. Like he can't, he, he's not a bad guy. There's no such yep. thing at this point. He's just shaped by his life experiences and like you are still a part of that for him and you can mold him towards that. I'm probably building a little psychopath manipulator more than anything. <laughs> I'm, in my attempts to build a really thoughtful, kind kid that's going to, and I see it because he has a lot of friends like he's the little butterfly in the in the school like everybody likes him and that kind of stuff and so i'm you know that's the goal Mm. is that you build someone likable and you prepare them for life yeah like you expand their ability to contemplate the world as much as they possibly can like don't disclude them from the thought process of what's possible. Yeah. You know, and I think that's the greatest thing that you can do with a little mind, whether it be a canine or a, or a human, is open them up to possibility rather than shut them down. And like you said in the book, rather than say what it isn't all the time, you know, you can open the mind right up to say, well, there are so many possibilities. Yeah. And I think that really gives not just a child, but a dog the option to transform into the best possible version of themselves that they could have been because they're not limited by what they can't do and they're not constantly thinking on that. They're more thinking about what can't I do? Yeah, Mm. exactly. Give me the guidance to get it right. Tell me when I get it wrong, Yeah, but give me the guidance to get it right. Yeah. All right, I'm going to wrap it up. Yeah, yeah, good place to wrap it up. That's it for the children's book episode of The Canine Paradigm. Yeah. As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is to jump into Patreon. Mm -hmm. A few bucks a month gets you an extra episode in there. I'm working on something that might prove a little controversial this month. Oh my God. Yeah. So last month I did that robot dog training thing and it was about why you might on purpose or by accident 
remove relationship from dog training. Mm-hmm. And, and I did that through the manners minder. Yep. I'm going to do the same, but in punishment. Ah. So like why you might want to on purpose remove relationship from it or why you might want to on purpose make sure that it is involved and why you know i like that i've been watching you do that in training in the in in the shed yeah the Mm. benefits of like the hand of god correction versus like hey you know i did this and i'm disappointed on disappointed in you and it's going to be a little bit controversial because i'm framing it through lima and and kind of saying like maybe don't take advice from people who are strict Lima people on punishment because they, they don't do it very often. What do they know about it? (laughs) 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 So anyway, we'll see how that goes. Mm. Another way to support the show would be Teespring. Yep. Get yourself some sweet ass merch. Thank you to those who are buying it and showing it off. Like Tracy Mammon, who gets her, her great big tapestries. Yeah. She's got a tapestry in the background of all her videos with her dogs on the treadmills. Yep. So thank you, Tracy. And I saw Casey and a few other people that I've made highlights on on Instagram with them wearing their shirts. Or mm-hmm. um, thank you very much. Like I really appreciate it. I know you do too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's great to see you know not only supporting the artists like Zoe and Avery and Jane and mm-hmm. who else has designed for us in the past. Damon Jennings. Damon Jennings. Yep, Damon Jennings. He coloured it uh, after Jane designed it. I've so got, I've got something going on, guys. Yeah, this is for the cool people who are still listening. Mm-hmm. If you're this deep into the outro, you're. You're one of us. Yep. You're in the family. You're in the gang. You're in the crew. Yep. I've got this issue of I need to name a a second boy. So we always plan on having two kids. Kind of thought the second one would be a girl. Yep. Had a sweet girl's name lined up. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a boy. Yep. Really painted ourselves into a corner calling my kid Ripley Danger Stewart. So it's not like I can just call the other one Tom. Bring back an old name like Graham. Graham. Yeah. How many, how many Grahams do you hear these days? Like Graham, yeah. you, Graham was a name that was around when I was a kid. Like there were a lot of Grahams. Now I don't see many Grahams anymore. Yeah. They're all called Ash or- um, Rasiga. Yeah, or, or <laughs> Saratoga or something like that. Oh, that's a good one, Saratoga. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so anyway, shoot me some uh, ideas. I might hold a clubhouse room on that or something. I might- I don't know. Um, what was that ship in the Matrix called? The, Nezacom- the Nebuchadnezzar? Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, yeah, call him, yeah call him Nebuchadnezzar. I don't just know about Neb. Neb. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you want to get in contact with us, best way to do that, if you want dog training advice or whatever, is jump into the Facebook group. There's a lot of posts in there. Search it up. Just try this little search bar before you go asking questions that have been asked a, answered a hundred times. Yeah. And if it's personal or whatever, you could shoot us individual messages or shoot us an email. We are info at the That's it. Goodbye. Bye.